Man, welcome to Oasis. Um, if you haven't been able to either catch us on our, our live stream on Facebook or here the last couple Sundays, we have entered um, into a series called Rhythms. And we are concluding that series tonight. And, and what we looked at is this idea of embracing the rhythms of Jesus. And recognizing that as we see Jesus live his life, he had these certain rhythms that he did. And within those rhythms, they all revolved around three different types of relationships. The relationship with God, relationship with the people that he poured into, but, but the relationship with people in the, in the church for us, but for him is those people who were just desiring to know God and to grow in faith and, and to become more like Jesus. And then tonight we're going to address the rhythms of Jesus and, and his relationship with the world. And what that looked like. My name, my name is Ben Geetson. Uh, I'm a young adult college pastor here, and it's been an incredible month of, of seeing God move, of being able to worship with you guys, and I'm incredibly just excited for what God has for tonight. And so as we move into embracing the rhythms of Jesus, looking at how he desires us, asking us even to relate to the world, I want to talk, just share a few stories. Um, do you know anyone in your life who has told you, like, or said these things, like, oh, you're going to leave, or maybe, like, some of you were just back home, and you're leaving, and I don't know if you have this person in your family who say, okay, make good decisions, make smart choices. I feel like, I feel like I have a ton of those people in my life, and there's a reason for that, because I tend to not make good decisions sometimes. <laughs> I tend to do things that are a little off and a little weird. I'm, I'm the guy where something's shiny and new and bright, I want to touch it, and I want to see it. And I want to know what it does. I'm the guy that pushes the red button when it says don't push the red button. That's, that's who I am. Uh, when I was like, I think like 10 years old, I was, for some reason, me and a couple of my friends, this was in Huron, South Dakota, uh, and we were walking around. Somehow we went from my house through the state fairgrounds, which is in Huron, uh, down, I don't even remember what road that is, and we just kept walking. And we were wandering for like two hours. And we somehow ended up in a field. I don't know how. We just got there because we kept walking and not paying attention to what we were doing. In the midst of this field, there was a fence. And when we got to the edge of it, and on this fence, there was a sign. And the sign said, caution, high voltage. And you just, you already know. I don't even have to finish it. And so in the midst of us reading this sign, we all start daring each other. Okay, who's going to touch it? Who can hold on the longest? Will the thing happen that you see in the movies if one person touches it and then we all hold each other? Will the third person get electrocuted? Just not smart. So of course, because I tend to sometimes not make good decisions and do stupid things sometimes, I touch it. I remember, I don't remember letting go, but I remember just all of a sudden being on the ground and my hand hurting really, really bad. And so in the midst of me making bad decisions, you think like as I get older, I would become wiser and become smarter. You can ask my wife, that's not the case. Um, when I was in college, we, we, I went down to Sioux Falls with a group of friends. And what was happening was the Oasis band went down to like play at a coffee shop or somewhere. All I remember is we're driving down to Sioux Falls. We're going to see the Oasis band, like, play in this place. I don't remember what it's called. And we're walking down these steps, and we get to this place, and it's fun, and they're playing just random songs. It's just, it's just a good time, good opportunity for fellowship, hanging out. 
And I remember the gal who was sitting right next to me had this keychain. And on this keychain was this little black tube with a red button on it. And I looked at it, and I thought, that looks like fun. And so I asked her, I said, hey, what is that? And she goes, that's mace. And so I just immediately perk up. I'm like, I need to know how this thing works. <laughs> and I end up having this glass of water. I take a drink from, from this glass of water. It's empty. So I think, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to spray this thing into the cup. I'll put it up to my face. It's going to be fine. I've had zero experience with mace before. I take it up. I somehow sneak it. I think she knew, like, I was more intrigued than I should have been. And so I grab it. I have this cup. I snuck it away, and I, like, turn like this, and I spray it, and I go like this, and I was experiencing hell on earth. Legitimately, tears start to well up in my eyes, snot's coming down my nose. I don't know what's happening. I just assumed in the midst of me spraying in this cup that I would be the only one affected. Everyone starts coughing. We're in this little space. Like, I'm prone to not making good decisions all the time. And so, like, when I, when I see Scripture, and when I'm reading these stories in the Bible, and I'm seeing some people do what looks like just crazy, almost like idiotic things, I get intrigued by that. Now, we know Jesus was perfect. And we read time and time again of his going out and healing and performing miracles and speaking encouragement and empowerment to the people he encounters. And he does this so much that it actually encourages his disciples and the apostles to go out and know, hey, they can do the things Jesus did because he sends them out. See, Jesus was so incredible and impactful at being the son of God, at coming with this vision of, of, of coming to earth, announcing the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, repent and believe the good news. And he went and he did these miracles and these incredible things that proved he is who he said he is, that people couldn't help but flock to him. And so in Mark 2, starting in verse 1, we get the story of these four guys who what seems to be and what looks like do some really weird, crazy things. But it's for a really good reason. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large, large, numbers, large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the dorm, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I read this story and I see these four 
friends, these four guys, doing something that seems like not a good decision. And I feel like in the midst of, as I'm reading this story, this story, God is asking us a question. And it's one that we all have to get to the point of wrestling with. And the question is this, are we willing to do what God is asking to bring people to Jesus? Are we willing to do what God is asking to bring people to Jesus? You see, as, as, we, as we read this story, it's, I, I felt even when I've read the story before, I've sometimes tried to relate myself with the man on the mat and not necessarily knowing that I needed Jesus and not necessarily the friends who brought him to Jesus. And as I read the story and, I, and I, even as I dove in this week, looking into it, recognizing that these four guys loved their friends so much, recognized that Jesus was something special. There was more about Jesus than any other person that they've ever known that they needed to get their friend who was paralyzed to him. And they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus, including risking a lot more than we actually could ever imagine. Are we willing to do what God is asking us to do in order to bring people to Jesus? And so immediately on the surface, we see and read that these four guys, they, in homes in this time, they were usually one-story homes with a flat roof. And a lot of the time, there would be a staircase that would lead up to the roof, which was just normal. During really nice seasons of when the weather was really nice, they'd go and like there'd be times where they would sleep outside at night on the roof. There'd be moments where families would go up on the roof together to pray and to worship. They would store tools and, and just things on the roof. They use it as, as a storage place. And so what we see is these four guys who knew they needed to get their friend to Jesus come to Jesus' home, which was Peter's home, which is where Jesus was staying, and see all these people. And they don't immediately think, okay, there's all these people, there's no way we're going to be able to get them to Jesus. They think, and I'm assuming they even pray, it's how can we get our friend to Jesus? So they most likely see this staircase that walks up and gets them to the roof. And so these four guys, carrying a man on a mat who is paralyzed, get up to the roof. And their thought process is, okay, (laughs) let's start going to town. Let's do whatever we can to get this man to Jesus. And they're risking a lot. First and foremost, they're risking their physical well-being. Um, I know it's only one story, but along with me not being a great decision maker sometimes, I also am incredibly clumsy. Uh, and I don't like heights. Like this sometimes scares me a little bit. I'm, on a, I'm not that far up, but it's enough that if I just miss it wrong, I fall, hit my head on a chair, game over, Brendan has to come up and finish the sermon. But I don't like heights. And so they're willing to risk, and it, again, it's not that far, but they're willing to risk not only themselves, but their friend to get to the roof to get their friend to Jesus. <laughs> we got to have like a sounder when I'm just going to go on a tangent and tell a story that I probably shouldn't tell because we're going to go long. This is happening right now. I, when, when we were in Watertown, we had a home. We bought a home, me and my wife. And she really liked Christmas lights on her house. Right? I mean, that's great. The problem is, in the midst of liking Christmas trees on her house, I didn't want to ever take them down. And so we had Christmas lights on our house all year long. We were that family. We were that house. I'm pretty sure our neighbors hated us. 
And so in the midst of getting Christmas lights on our house, you had to get a ladder up, put it on the side, reach it to the roof. It was maybe like 15, 20 feet up. And I don't know if you've seen the videos of the firefighters who go, like the competitions of them, like running up the ladder to get to the top. I felt like I was like that every time I go up the ladder. And so I go up super fast, I get to the roof, I'm super confident, and then it's time to come down, and it's game over. I, there was one moment and one time where I was sitting up on the roof, my wife had helped, because I don't like it, she held the ladder for me to get up, and she says, hey babe, I'm gonna run to the store real quick, I'll be right back. <laughs> yep. And so I get up there, I'm on the roof, and I get done whatever I needed to get done. I don't even remember what it was, because it's such a traumatic experience, I tried blocking it out. And I'm getting to the point where I come up and the ladder's here and the ladder, the edge of the tallest of the ladder is like this far from the edge of our roof. And so I, for maybe 20 minutes, am wrestling with myself and, and I only get to this moment and like to this before I come back on the roof. I can't make the leap to go over and just get on the ladder. I can only do this and I get scared and I sit up there. And then eventually, I don't start crying, but I almost start crying, and I just sit down on the roof, I'm like, I'm stuck up here forever. Abby probably died in a car wreck. No one's gonna come help me or find me. <laughs> eventually, Abby gets home. She sees me like laying down on the roof. Super traumatic experience. She holds a ladder, I come down, I don't talk to her. She asks me what happened, I don't wanna talk about it. I go inside the house. I come back out to put the ladder away in super frustration and anger, and one of my neighbors comes out of the house, out of their house, across the street, and she comes over and she says, you look like you really struggled getting off the roof there, Ben. <laughs> and it took everything within me not to be like, why didn't you come help me? <laughs> I felt like I was gonna die. But they're risking their physical well-being because they wanted to get their friend to Jesus. They wanted to get their friend to, friend to Jesus. See, the, the roofs in these days um, had, were, were made of, of wood, of packed in straw and grass and, and, and trees and branches, and then a clay, dirt, water mixture that would harden up. Because it needed to be strong enough to hold people up there when they would sleep there at night or have prayer and worship moments. And it needed to be strong enough to hold people. And so what ended up most likely happening is that these guys are bringing their friend because they want him to Jesus. They see, okay, we need to go on the roof and we need to get through the roof. So they probably went and got whatever tools they had in that day. And in the midst of Jesus teaching, the crowd that was there, all of a sudden, you can just hear, I'm assuming. And Jesus is teaching. And on top of this roof, they're hammering away, breaking it down. And once they get enough broken down, they get the clay out and the dirt and the twigs and the straw and they move it and then they bang some more to get a big enough space so that they can get their friend who they wanted to get to Jesus down this hole. They risk their physical well-being to get G their friend to Jesus. They risk resources. They had to have known and counted the cost and recognized, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to pay for the repairs. We're going to have to use our own money, our own time, our own effort to fix what we're about to do. And then finally, as we read this and as we dive into it, they risk their own social reputation and social, actually, humiliation. 
Because as we, as, as we read in verses six and seven, it says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? And so these four guys who were Jewish, God-fearing men had a friend that they wanted to get to Jesus because they knew Jesus could help. Went up to the roof, started banging, risking their well-being, knowing they're risking resources and risking social humiliation because of what, who, the people that were in the crowd were teachers of the law were people that could actually keep them from going to the synagogue and worshiping. Most likely friends and family members and people they knew were in the crowd. If I try to put myself in the shoes of those friends, family members, and teachers of the law, what I'm thinking is I want to hear Jesus and hear what he has to say. And here's these nut jobs going on a roof, making loud noises, trying to do something. They were okay being humiliated so that they could get their friend to Jesus. They were okay being humiliated so they could get their friend to Jesus. They were okay risking their physical well-being. They were okay risking resources. My wife, who I love, she was here running around with, with uh, our kids earlier. She, she is a physician assistant at a clinic up in Watertown. And a lot of times, like, there is this, like, kind of... St- stigma of medicine and the sciences and and faith and spirituality. And and our world has created this dynamic where they're against each other. And so my wife works in a field where the majority, not all, but a lot of people that she potentially works with or even went to school with don't believe in a God. Definitely, at least, don't, don't follow Jesus. And so she's had moments in her practice where something would come up with a patient, where she gets this inkling within herself, and it's the Holy Spirit moving, and the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to pray with this person. And so with permission, my wife asks if she can pray. What she's doing in that moment is she's potentially risking a patient getting really angry. She's potentially risking the nurses that she works with getting really angry. She's potentially risking her job because she felt an inkling in her soul that she needed to pray for someone to know Jesus or get healed by Jesus. There was a, there was a time when she was working at acute care and she had a coworker who she knew really, really well who she saw sitting at a desk crying in this open, they have an open workspace. And this gal was crying. And she got this inkling in her soul to go in the midst of needing to see patients and get them out and, and, and making sure she's doing her job. And she went over, she asked what was wrong, and she prayed for her out loud in the middle of this open space with everyone around. And, and I want to share that story because my wife is not a pastor. She, she didn't go to school, and she doesn't have a Christian ministry degree, which I do, but she, just like every single one of us, has been empowered with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the things that God is asking us to do. She's wrestled with the question, and she says yes to being willing to do what God's asking in order to bring people to Jesus. Her faith and her obedience just encourage a crap on me. <laughs> they really do. And I share that because it doesn't matter where we're at. We have the ability and the opportunity that God's given us to bring people to Jesus, to pray for them, 
to share the gospel with them, to invite them to church. God has given you influence over friends and family and classmates and roommates to help them encounter the life-changing transformation and redemption that Jesus offers. And so I'm actually going to have the band come up. And Jaina, as you come up, you you can start playing, but I'm going to go into three things that I feel like God is asking of us and wants us to remember in the midst of pursuing our relationships with those who are far from God. The first one is just remember he's asked. He asks us this question, are we willing to do the things that God is asking us to do in order to bring people to Jesus? God sometimes is asking us to risk something of worth in our life in order to see him move in another person's life. And that's really, really hard to grapple with and wrestle with. And some, maybe for some of you, that is social humiliation. Where you're trying to do this faith thing and relationship with God thing and relationship with Jesus thing all in and you want to do the things that God is asking you to do and sometime maybe for you that is risking potential friendships and relationships. But what's amazing about the ask, what's amazing about God and as he has us wrestle with this question is he doesn't leave us there. He asks the question to give us opportunity to surrender and say yes. And then in the midst of saying yes, he says, okay. That final command in Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he doesn't end it there. He says, but remember, I am with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm with you forever. And he gives that promise. And as he gives that promise, what he does, he actually anoints us and the Father sends the Holy Spirit. And so in the midst of the ask, in the midst of us saying yes, what God then does is he sends the Holy Spirit down when we say yes to Jesus. He sends the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill what God's asking us to do. So he's saying not only are you not alone, but I'm gonna be with you and present with you in the midst of trying to help you and your friends know Jesus, trying to help you in praying for people and sharing the gospel. He says, not only am I present with you, but I'm actually sending the Holy Spirit who's gonna fill you with power and strength and perseverance to do the things that I'm asking you to do. And he does that because we can't do it in our own strength and power. So he gives us this big ask. Are you willing to do the things I'm asking you to do to help people know Jesus? Know that I've anointed you and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit who's going to empower you to do the things and fulfill the things that I've asked you to do. You're not alone. And then he appoints us. And appointing is just this. It's God has ordained for us specific connections with people at specific times. We don't have to wait till we graduate college and get our first job or in a certain relationship in order to bring people to Jesus, in order to pray for people who are struggling, in order to share the gospel. He's saying, no, recognize right now that you have influence over people in your life that are friends and family and classmates and roommates who are far from me that need me. 
recognize the influence that you have. And it's really hard. There are moments where it's really, really tough. Really tough. I was and am incredibly close with my sister. In the midst of us having a really, really close relationship, I had just given my life to Jesus and I was trying to just be all in and follow him. And she's living in Sioux Falls. And she gets this call from a friend of her saying that another friend that they knew and were really close with had just died. And so she calls me and says, Ben, I'm really struggling. I just, I just need to see you and talk to you. And so I'm in Brookings at the time. She's in Sioux Falls and I'm driving down. And the entire time I'm driving down, I'm scared out of my mind because I don't know what to say. And this is my sister who I'm close with, who we love each other deeply. But as I'm driving down, I'm remembering and recognizing, okay, God, I know that you've filled me and sent the Holy Spirit and fill me with him to be able to do whatever is going to happen in this moment. So alleviate the fear that is trying to overwhelm me and keep me from sharing Jesus with my sister. Then I get down there and she's on the bathroom floor crying and then I get on the bathroom floor with her crying and we're able to pray and she looks at me and she just says, Ben, I want what you have. In the midst of that moment, I knew, okay, what I have is nothing of my own, but it's Jesus. And I was just able to share that with her. I say, what you see, the life change that you've seen in me, what's different about me than what you knew when I was in high school is because I've had an encounter with the living God and I've recognized that Jesus did everything he could to save me because he loved me. And so in the midst of you guys wrestling with the ask, are you willing to do what God is asking us to do to bring people to Jesus? Know that you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit and that he's appointed for you specific connections with people for right now. For right now. So we're going to pray. And we got the three words up there and we'll leave them up there for a little bit. And I want you to just pray through. Maybe some of you haven't just said yes to I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do, God, what you ask to help bring those I love, those I'm around, those that you've given me influence over, those that are in my life that I know are far from you. I'm willing to do what you're asking me to do to help them know you. Maybe you just need to ask or just remember and recognize that you've been filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the things that God's asking you to do. And then also, who's that one person that comes to mind right now? Who's that one person that God has ordained for this moment in your life now? He's asking, hey, pray for this person. Don't be afraid to invite them to church. Don't be afraid to invite them to small group. Don't be afraid to go ask them how they're doing and in the midst of whatever is going on in their life to say, can we pray with each other? Can I pray for you? Knowing that you're anointed, empowered by the Spirit to do the things he's asking you to do. Who's that friend that you need to be praying for? Write their name down. Pray for them every single day. Ask God to reveal in moments when you're living life with them. Ask him to make it really clear when you need to just step out in faith 
and bring them to Jesus. What I love about what's happened in the last month and a half is every single week we get cards that say first-time guest. And every single week, I'm not naive enough to think that there's some people here who have just never said yes to Jesus or who haven't made that commitment and said, okay, I'm all in. And so as I'm, as I'm reading even the story in Mark, or I'm reading and, and talking, some of you can't really relate maybe to the four people bringing their friend to Jesus because you're stuck with this idea that you're the person on the mat who needs Jesus. And what I want to tell you is that your sins are forgiven. Is God loves you and he created you to be in relationship with him. And because what Jesus did on the cross, his death and resurrection was enough to fix a relationship with God the Father that was broken because of sin. So know that your sins are forgiven. Know that God loves you. Maybe tonight you're on the mat or feel like you're on the mat and you need to be prayed for. And maybe there's something going on in your life where you just need to ask someone to pray for healing spiritually, emotionally, maybe even physically. And so there's going to be people in the back that want to pray with you. And then after the service, there will be people in the chapel through those double doors that want to pray with you. Who's the person that God's bringing to your mind? Pray for them right now in this moment. And if you need to say Jesus and want to say yes to him and say, I'm all in, there's people in the back that want to want to help you with that process. I want to pray with you. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that there are moments in our life where each one of us can relate to being the person on the mat who for the first time comes and encounters you, King Jesus, where there's this recognition that you've forgiven our sin. That because of your death and resurrection, you made a way for us to be in relationship with God. And so for those right now that just need to say yes and want to say yes for the first time, give them that encouragement, empower them to say yes to you, to go in the back and be prayed for. And then there's some of us who are like that friend and we know we have people in our life that need you, Jesus. And there's one specifically that comes to mind. And right now I lift all of those names and the faces that are in our heads to you, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be a part of how you do life change and transformation. We thank you, God, that you're asking us to be a part of helping people know you well. And maybe some of us have been coming to Oasis for a while and we feel like we're just in the crowd at the front door. And we want to finally just say, okay, God, I'm all in. I'm yours. 
Thank you that you give us the strength, that you empower us to overcome our greatest weaknesses and fears, that your perfect love casts out fear. I thank you so much for every single person in this room. I thank you, God, that you love us more than we could ever know. And I thank you, Jesus, that in you, we are forgiven. And I thank you, Jesus, that you heal souls and you heal lives. We love you. It's in your name we pray.